0: It is good to be with you today, Salem. Thank you guys for making me welcome. Absolutely appreciate that. Uh, lots of incredible stories I could share today about Pastor Kivitt. Uh, maybe after service, if you want to hear some of those, I can pass some of those your way. Uh, there's one in particular that I do want to share uh, because I feel like, honestly, Kivett had played a—I mean, played a significant role in me being who I am. Praise God for that. Uh, But but in one area in particular, kind of a shallow surface level thing, like I, I love coffee, and I started drinking coffee uh, probably near the end of my senior year in high school and drank through through college, you know um, But I would always use like creamer in my coffee to kind of give it a little bit more of a flavor And while we were ra partners who we were seniors in college like kivit saw me putting You know french vanilla powder creamer in the coffee and he's like What is this like being a guy from denton from the the middle of nowhere? Like he made fun of me for putting that in my coffee And so that year I stopped drinking coffee with cream in it and just started drinking coffee black and my life has never been the same so, Kivit, thank you for your investment in my life. Uh, obviously, there are so many wonderful and incredible things we could say about Kibbit today, but I praise God for his faithfulness and ministry and for serving Salem so faithfully over these past several years. If you've got your Bible today, uh, open up to Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20. And uh, if you find your spot, go ahead and say we'll read the scriptures together. Acts chapter 20, verses 17 through 24 is what we'll read together this morning. Uh, as you're standing, you will see over to, uh, to my left, probably your right, uh, there's a woman that's wrapped in a little baby satchel thing over here. That's my wife, Holly. Holly and I have been married for about 12 years or so, uh, almost 13. We've been together for nearly 20 years, which is hard to believe because we don't look like we're 20 years old. Uh, But we've got six kids, as Kivett mentioned, uh, 10 all the way down to 15 weeks. So 10, 8, 6, 4, 2, and then 15 weeks, which is pretty incredible. So praise God for Holly. She's an incredible pastor's wife. I'm thankful for that. Let's take a look at Acts chapter 20, verse 17, and we'll read through 24. Let's look at this. Now from Aletus he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. This is talking about Paul. And when they came to him, he said to them, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia. Serving the Lord with all humility, with tears, with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. How I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to the Jews and to the Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now behold, I'm going to Jerusalem constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But listen to verse 24, but I do not account my life of any value nor as precious to myself if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Would you join me as we pray? Father, thank you for your word this morning. We're thankful for the songs that we can sing together. We're thankful for the way that they can align our heart with your gospel message. And God, as we take just a couple of moments today and center our affections on your word, I ask that you would open our eyes, open our minds, and give us the ability to understand what we see. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. You can take your seat. Uh, This past week was a uh, pretty heavy week for my wife and I. Uh, There was a a couple that uh, my wife has kind of been walking alongside for a while. Uh, Her and her husband, they've been married for some time. And uh, they've battled some health issues on and off for the past, I don't know, probably 15 years or so. Uh, and this past week, uh, the husband went into the doctor's office. He'd been having some, some minor symptoms, some, some throat trouble, some chest trouble, but nothing significant. He goes into the doctor's office, uh, and in a matter of 20 minutes to 45 minutes or so, their life is turned on its head. Uh, Come to find out, this guy ends up having esophageal cancer, and it's stage four esophageal cancer. He's in his his mid-40s. They have a daughter that's six years old. Uh, Honestly, it's a horrifying and terrible situation to kind of see and endure. But in a moment like that, in a moment where uh, everything is great and grand and good, in one moment, and then 30 or 45 minutes later, things are turned all together. Your life is turned upside down. What once used to be important no longer becomes important. What used to be significant no longer becomes significant. In those moments, you, you find out what really matters and what's, what really matters the most. And so for this family, uh, they began to, to sell their business. They're trying to get all of their affairs in order for this, for this husband. But They're holding on to hope, but everything radically changed for them. They're living with a different set of principles and priorities, And as you get into Acts chapter 20, you find that that's not an altogether different situation for the Apostle Paul. Paul had been ministering for years, doing missionary journey after missionary journey. And as you get into Acts chapter 20, he's wrapping up his third missionary journey. And he's kind of doing this this recourse, going back through some of the churches that he's planted, revisiting some of the places that he's been and at the beginning of Acts chapter 20, he ends up going around Ephesus and coming to this place called Miletus. And he stays here for a short time. And while he's in Miletus, he calls the Ephesian elders up to Miletus to have one final conversation with him. This final conversation with them would be this farewell address for these Ephesian elders. Now, I want you to know this. With these Ephesian elders, he had ministered and served in this church for about three years. So longer than any other place that the Apostle Paul had ministered and served, he served in Ephesus. So there was great relationships, there was great contacts, there was love that he shared for the people. There was deep connection with the people, the church at Ephesus. And so bringing up the Ephesian elders was a significant deal for him. There's a reason he didn't stop in Ephesus. He was on his way to Jerusalem, as we read in this passage. He felt constrained and compelled by the Holy Spirit to go to uh, Jerusalem before the Pentecost would come. And so he was in a hurry. So if he would have gone into Ephesus, he probably would have stayed there a lot longer uh, than he wanted to stay. In fact, Baptists like to linger, like to eat. He would have done the same thing, right? He would have stayed a little bit longer than he would have wanted to. And so he calls the Ephesian elders up from Miletus. And he has this conversation to them. And he has this conversation to them that would almost be really the last conversation that he would have with this church. And you have to imagine, like in that situation, what would you tell this church? These people that you wouldn't see again, these people that you'd never have a chance to address again, what would be your message to those people? It would probably be what was most important to you. And for Paul, what was most important to Paul was the gospel of Jesus. Acts chapter 9, Acts chapter 10, uh, Paul is radically converted. You know the story of Paul? He was a man that was going out persecuting and killing Christians. Acts chapter 9, chapter 10, his life is radically changed. God opens up his eyes, shows him the beauty of the gospel. He responds in salvation and faith, and then his life is forever changed. This was what was most important for Paul. And so what he gives us in 17 through 24 is really this list of things that we should keep in mind if the gospel is the most important thing. And in reality, when it's all said and done for you and me, the gospel is the most important thing. So for us, what can we learn as we look at Acts chapter 20, verses 17 through 24? I've got a couple of things that I wanted to lay before us today, just challenge points. And the first one is this. We'll begin here. The end of everything, when all is said and done, all that matters is the gospel, point one is this, be known by faithfulness to the gospel. Be known by faithfulness to the gospel. Look at what Paul says in verse 18. And when they came to him, he said to them, you yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility, with tears, with trials that happened to me throughout the plot's of the Jews, How I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in the public from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to the Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Here you see Paul's unwavering faithfulness to the gospel. What does that faithfulness to the gospel look like for Paul? Verse 18, it begins as he steps foot into Asia. He says that I've not wavered one day since I set foot in Asia. I've been faithful from the very beginning to the very end. Uh, This past summer, we had the chance to, uh, to do some axe throwing. If you guys have ever done axe throwing before, raise your hand. Some people have. Uh, It was a blast. I hope that you enjoyed it when you went. I absolutely loved it. It's not like I played baseball growing up, so I'm used to like throwing things like a baseball. It's not like that. So it took me a little bit to get used to the strategy behind it. But the goal is that you take this axe and you just wield it and you're attempting to set it in the center of a target. You've got a circle and you've got a center that you're trying to get. Uh, You're trying to throw that axe to hit. And so that's a hard thing to do. It takes practice, it takes precision, it takes intentionality. It's not an easy thing to do. I got into it thinking it was gonna be like a breeze, but it wasn't. The axes are heavy. I can't carry heavy things. I don't look like I can, right? So throwing an ax was a difficult thing for me, but getting in the center was tough. And so for the Apostle Paul uh, to be able to live this life of faithfulness, it meant for him that he had to keep Christ at the center, And for us, if we want to live lives of faithfulness to the gospel, it means that we must be Christ-centered in everything that we say and do. We live in this culture today where I would say that we have this appendage-like Christianity. Where we look at Christianity uh, in the sense of it's something to us as long as it provides something to us. In the same way that our hands can provide us things that we want, our feet can get us places that we want, we look at Christianity in that way. What can it do for, for me? But for us to be looked at as faithful to the gospel of Jesus, it means that we must be fully centered on the gospel of Jesus. Which means that everything that I think, everything that I say, everything that I do, every conversation that I have, every decision that I make must be centered and filtered through the lens of the gospel of Jesus that's what it looks like to be centered and this is what paul radically showed us from the very moment that he stepped in asia to the very end he was unbelievably centered on the gospel so a couple of questions that you could ask yourself thinking about gospel centrality for you where do you want where do you spend your time look at your calendar look at outlook look at the things that you've done over this past week what does that show you about what is center for your life where do you spend your money? Look at your bank account. Look at the things that you've purchased over the past week. What does that show about you and what you're centered on? What do others say about you? Having conversations with people that are around you, asking others for, for insight. What, Based off of the way that I'm living, what does it seem like my, my life is centered on? For us to be able to live lives of faithfulness to the gospel, it means that we must be gospel-centered. But secondly, look at what Paul says in verse 19. He goes a little bit further. And he says this, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. So not only was he keeping Christ at the center, he was serving with humility. He was serving with gospel purpose. And what does gospel purpose look like? Gospel purpose looks like humility. Now, humility a lot of times, especially in our culture today, is not something that is focused on. It's not something that's supported and encouraged. In fact, we live in a culture uh, that's very much focused on doing what you can to achieve the next and highest level of whatever that may be, whether that's becoming a better athlete or becoming more wealthy or becoming uh, a more respected person in your organization. Like we live in a culture that pushes and drives this sense of like doing what you can to exalt yourself. But we see here in verse 19 that Paul is serving with a sense of humility. And humility is this. Humility is this idea that you are considering others as more important than yourself. So how can, we, how can we look to exalt ourselves and exalt others at the same time? Like that's not something that takes place. So Paul is looking to exalt others here. Now, how do we achieve and how do we land on humility theologian once said that we can find humility this way. Humility begins with the right understanding of God. Humility begins with the right understanding of God. So what does the Bible teach us about who God is? The Bible teaches us that God is creator. The Bible teaches us that God is holy. The Bible teaches us that God is righteous, that he is perfect, that he is sovereign, that he is ruler, that he is king, that he is all wise, that he does all that he wants, that he's for himself, that God is for God's glory. That's what the Bible teaches us about God. And so as we look at a holy and wise and perfect and right God, what does that then leave us to say about ourselves? That we are not that, that we are sinful, that we have wronged, that we have gone astray we have messed up, we've missed the mark. Over and over again, we find uh, that we are sinful people in light of who God is. So when we're looking to, to land on this place of humility, it means that we need to understand God, which gives us a better understanding of ourselves. And if we attempt to understand who we are apart from understanding God, we're gonna be left thinking that we are much better than we actually are. So for us to understand what it means to be humble, it first must mean that we look to understand God a little bit better. And for Paul, Paul recognized who he was. He had this incredible rap sheet of being uh, this person that knew all the right answers in church, was persecuting Christians, had this horrible sheet of just persecuting, killing, and torturing Christians, and then radically is saved by the gospel of Jesus. So for those of us that would claim to be Christians today, that we believe the gospel of Jesus, that we believe that Christ has saved us from our sin, then there's no room for humility face of the cross. So we must first understand uh, what humility means for us to be able to live with gospel purpose. But I would say secondly, uh, serving with gospel purpose means that we're serving through hardship, that we're serving through hardship. Uh, It says in verse 19, he served the Lord with all humility. And then he says, with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. So these tears and trials that he's mentioning here are two areas of hardship that Paul endured despite. Now this first area, this area of tears, has everything to do with the connections that he had made with the church at Ephesus. These tears are not tears out of like someone hurting you, but these tears are tears because people around you are hurting. It's this concept of hurting with those who hurt and weeping with those who weep. It's this concept of investing in the lives of other people and the reciprocal activity is that as people hurt, you hurt with them. Have you guys noticed that in the church? The closer that you get to people, the more life that you walk alongside others. When those individuals walk through hard times, like you hurt with them. Like that's what the church is called to do. And so Paul here is saying that I've endured some of that. I've been connected, I've been invested, and the result of being connected and invested is that my heart is broken when the people of God are broken. So I've endured some of these tears, but then he also says a little bit further in verse 19, with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. So not only is there this concept of of tears because of being connected with the people of God, but there's also this concept of, of really just enduring persecution. Not only have I been broken with the people of God, but I have, man, I've endured some stuff. The way that Paul was living boldly, proclaiming the gospel, put him face to face with first line, front line persecution. Persecution like we've not seen today. In fact, if you look at what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 20 through, uh, 22 through 29, Paul is defending his, uh, his authority, he's defending his apostleship to, to people in, in the face of people thinking that he was a false teacher. He says this in 2 uh, Corinthians chapter 11, he says, are they Jews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they the offspring of Abraham? So am I. Are they the servants of Christ? I am a better one. I'm talking like a, mad, a madman with far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings and often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. At night and in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers. Over and over and over again, you see that Paul, Paul was living out what it meant to, to preach the gospel, to proclaim the gospel, and to face persecution because of that. So Paul here is saying that that we should live with this sense of gospel purpose, and gospel purpose for us looks like us walking in humility, but it also looks like us being able to endure hardship. Let me go a little bit further. Let's talk a little bit more about what Paul does in verse 20. He says that he's endured some things that have happened through the plots of the Jews. Verse 20 says this, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to the Jews and to the Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. So what does it look like to, uh, to really serve the Lord with faithfulness it means that we are keeping Christ at the center it means that we're serving with gospel purpose but it also means in verse 20 that we are standing firm on the gospel of Jesus and we're boldly proclaiming it he says here this word this word shrink back that he uses in verse 20 has this concept of uh, it's kind of a nautical term anybody like like do anything with boating or sailing or anything like that it's okay, because I don't either. I know, maybe some people do. Uh, but this shrink back has everything to do with, like, uh, pulling up the sails and cinching them tight. And the idea is that you are drawing something up. And so when he's saying here that I've not, ba- I've not shrinked back to proclaim the gospel to you, he's saying that I've not been afraid. I've not drawn up. I've not closed my mouth. But I've boldly proclaimed the gospel in face of opposition, so for us today, like what does that look like for you and for me? Well, we did a conference this past weekend. In fact, I, I was at a conference where I saw Dwayne Carson, which is incredible. Dwayne Carson, obviously you, you guys know and love Dwayne. Uh, I, the same, I absolutely love Dwayne. In fact, uh, the way that we lead, both Holly and I have been radically affected because of Dwayne's leadership. And so we had a chance to be at a conference together this past weekend for one day. Uh, and there was a guy that was speaking there. His name is Dean and Sarah. And Dean was this guy that was mentored and discipled by Duane. Um, and he mentioned this he was talking about living out our faith in a world that doesn't accept Christianity. He was kind of delivering it from this message of First Peter chapter 2, talking about how that we are uh, exiles and aliens and strangers in a foreign world living in this place that is not our home. Essentially, he was talking about us living on earth today, uh, being members and citizens of heaven. And so he gave us a couple of points, and these are three points that he shared that I thought were really, really helpful. So what does it look like for us to live in a world like that, to boldly proclaim and to stand on the gospel? It means this, uh, number one, that you have to root yourself in Christ. Root yourself in the finished work of Christ, meaning that, that who I am is all that I am because of what Christ has done for me. But secondly, he, he would say, be realistic in your expectations, which means this, that if we're boldly standing for the gospel that we, that we hold fast to be true, then there's no way that we're going to be looked at as cool in the society that we live in. There's no way that we're always going to be accepted in this society. And so he's saying, set your expectations right. And then thirdly, he would say, resolve to not compromise. And I think that's the area that I think we struggle with the most. He would say, like, set your sights on never compromising the gospel of Jesus. So for you today, would you be able to boldly say that you have stood on the gospel in the face of opposition, in the face of people speaking at you, in the face of enemies? Have, can you say that you've stood firm the gospel of Jesus this is what Paul calls us to and then lastly when it looks at when we look at walking faithfully and being known by faithfulness to the gospel it means lastly in verse 21 that we evangelize with urgency that we share the gospel with urgency verse 21 Paul says I was testifying both to the Jews and to the Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ to the Jews and the Greeks, you've got two different types of people here. Paul is a, a natural Jew, right? He was raised this way. He kind of recounts all of that in Philippians chapter 2 and 3. Like he recounts, he, I mean, he, he talks about who he was, like the, the type of credibility that he had he brought to the table. He was a Jew by birth. But he's saying here in verse 21 that it's up to us to share the gospel, not just with one group of people that might look like us, but it's our responsibility to engage all people in all nations for the gospel's namesake. And so it's our job to evangelize with urgency. And the reason that we say urgency there is simply because the gospel is the message that all people need. We're filled with the world around us. We can kind of look and see that there are many people that are looking for hope and looking for satisfaction and looking for something. And the reality is is that we've all been created with this God-sized hole in our heart. And nobody will ever be satisfied until they fully find their faith in the Lord Jesus In fact, St. Augustine would say that we are restless until we find our rest in Him. Meaning that we've all been intended to live this life to find hope and joy only in Him. And if we look to find that hope and joy in other places, then it's gonna lead to further and further destruction. Therefore, it's urgent that we share this message. And apart from the message of the gospel, there's the alternative of facing destruction and eternal separation from God. So it's an urgent message that we must share So be known, first of all, by faithfulness to the gospel. Let's look at number two. Fall down to verse 22 with me if you can. Secondly, be known by your submission to the gospel. So be known by faithfulness to the gospel, but be known by submission to the gospel. Paul says this in verse 22. So verses 17 through 21, excuse me, he's giving this recounting of what he's done in his life. Verse 22, he's talking about what's going forward. Verse 22 says, And now behold, I'm going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. So here you find Paul uh, changing gears And in the same way that he feels this, in the same way that a soldier would feel like a sense of indebtedness and responsibility and duty to obey the command of their commander-in-chief, here you find Paul feeling the sense of obligation and duty to be obedient to the call that God has given him. This call that God has given him was one that he would face persecution further. He'd face afflictions. He'd face imprisonments. He knew all of those things, and yet Paul decided to continue to pursue, to be obedient. So be known by submission to the gospel. What does that look like in the Apostle Paul? Look at verse 22. <clears throat> and now behold, I'm going to Jerusalem constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there. He, here this word constraining means that he feels this sense of urging for something. He feels like this inward, this inward call that he just can't shake. He feels this sense of, uh, of yearning to go simply because the Holy Spirit was pressing that on him. Some people would say that that wasn't the Holy Spirit that was working in Paul. It was Paul working for himself. But here, this is the Holy Spirit pushing and urging Paul to do something. And this is, this is what he does. He wants him to go to Jerusalem to be able to, to stand and to be able to, to stand for the sake of the gospel. And so he is obedient in doing that. He's living for the purpose of another. There was a missionary. Uh, James Calvert he was a missionary to um, the Fiji people and he says uh, there was a quote that he says this at one point uh, there was a ship captain that said to him uh, as you as you go you're going to lose your life and you're going to lose, lose the lives of those who are with you among such savages talking about the people that he was going to encounter and the way that he responded to that is in this way we died before we came here this was the apostle Paul he was being obedient to the message that God had placed on his heart to, to follow and called him to Jerusalem despite the fact that it was going to require him to encounter some persecution and suffering. And yet you find Paul being obedient. In the same way that we find Christ being obedient to the point of death, Philippians chapter two would show us this was Paul being obedient to the voice of God. So the question that you can ask yourself today, like what, what constrains you What is it that you feel like you are constrained to do? For Paul, he was being obedient to the word of God. For us today, as the church that has the word of God before us, we we have God's word here. God's word shows us what he desires of us. He shows us the life that we should live. It shows us the, the places that we should go, the things that we should do, the way that we should orient our lives. The question is, does the word of God urge you? Or do you find yourself being satisfied with other things? Do you feel constrained to follow in obedience to what God has clearly carved out in the word, or would you rather do other things? So Paul was feeling constrained by the word of God to do uh, what God had called him to do. So not only was he living for the purpose of another, verse 22 shows us that he was content not knowing the future. Verse 22 he says behold I'm going to Jerusalem constrained by the spirit not knowing what will happen to me there except that the holy spirit testifies me uh, to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. So here Paul says clearly that I mean I don't know what I'm getting into. I know that imprisonments, I know that afflictions are going to come towards me, but I don't know what that's going to look like. Now for a lot of us and I would say I'm included in this this camp here type A people We live by a planner. We want to know what the next week's gonna look like. We want to know what the next month's gonna look like. We want to know what the next year, the next two years, the next three years is going to look like. In fact, most of our day is spent planning for things to come. We are a planned group of people. We want to know what is going to happen. And so for Paul, in this example here, he says, listen, I have no idea what's going to happen to me. I don't know how I'm going to get over there. I'm not sure what's going to happen when I get there. I'm not sure who I'm going to meet. I'm not sure how long I'm going to be around after I get there. But Paul says, listen, I'm, I'm content. I'm content doing what God has called me to do, even if it means I don't know what tomorrow will hold. So we go back to this beginning example, this couple that we uh, know closely, love, and care for. Uh, This couple is on this journey uh, over the next two years or so, and they have no idea what this journey will look like for them. It's simply taking one step at a time, one foot in front of the other, doing what's best next. And for that, sometimes it's really hard for us to grab a hold of it. It's hard for us to believe that we can thrive in a place like that. But in those moments, we find that when we don't know what the next step is— that we find a closer relationship with the Lord than we've ever seen before, because it's in those moments where you can't quite see what your next step really is, that you find intimacy and a personal relationship with the God of the universe like you've never experienced before. If you don't know where your next meal is going to come from, then you appreciate so much that manna that comes for that day. If you don't know that you're going to have breath that next day, then you appreciate the breath you have that day. And so there's this deep sense of appreciation and intimacy that you can find with the God of the universe in those moments where you don't know what's next. And this is what was the case for Paul. He was living for the purpose of another. He was content not knowing the future, but then he was going to face his suffering head on. He was going to face his suffering head on verse 23. It says, I I don't know what's going to happen to me there except the Holy Spirit testifies to me. The Holy Spirit has told me that in every city that I go to imprisonment and afflictions will await. I don't know what's going to come. The only thing that I do know is that I will face persecutions, I'll face imprisonments, I'll face afflictions. So the only thing that I know that I'm going to face is hardship and suffering. And despite that, I'm going to face it head on. It's not going to stop me. And why is that? It's because at the end of the day, as we'll get to this in just a few moments, at the end of the day, what matters most is our faithfulness and our commitment to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's the way that it was for Paul. So think about your life for a quick second today. When others think of you, do they consider you to be someone that is submissive to Christ in all that you do? When others look at you, do they consider you to be someone that is faithful to Christ in all that you do? Let's roll on to verse 24 as we wrap things up. Paul says this in verse 24. He says, But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Paul says this in verse 24. Not only is he faithful to the gospel, not only is he submissive to the gospel, but lastly, he's content in the gospel. He's content in the gospel. To be content is the idea that you are fully satisfied with no desire for anything else. After I have a cup of really, really good coffee from a coffee shop in Concord, which is where we live, the place is called Groundwork Commons. It's the best coffee in Charlotte, in my opinion. After I have a cup of coffee from there, I am content to the brim. No desire for anything else. Starbucks has nothing on what Groundwork can do. In fact, I don't even get coffee at Starbucks anymore because Groundwork is so good. Like, I am content with the coffee. I'm content. I'm satisfied with it. So Paul is saying here in verse 24, the way that he kind of lays this out, he says, I don't account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus. Paul is saying, like he's using like an accounting term in this moment, and he's like, I've done all the numbers, I've crunched the numbers back and forth, and the way that I'm looking at it here is that my life going to Jerusalem face-to-face with persecutions and sufferings is far more valuable than looking to flee and looking to find comfort. Guys, we live in a comfort-drunk society where no one wants to be uncomfortable, right? But Paul here is saying that I would so much rather live my life for the sake of the gospel uh, rather than looking to be comfortable if it means that I can have Jesus and Jesus alone. And so Paul was steady, he was content, he was prioritized, he had his mind set on eternal pleasures rather than temporary uh, treasures he was satisfied in Christ but not only that the end of verse 24 shows us that not only was he content in the gospel it says that he was ready to finish the course that God had sort of marked out for him he says I've received he said I if only I may finish my course in the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God Paul was content, he had his priorities in line, but he wanted to stay the course. So for you and me today, as we think about Paul's example in Acts chapter 20, 17 through 24, of being found faithful to the gospel, being submissive to the gospel, and being content in the gospel, are those things true of you today? You asked yourself the question, you asked the questions in your mind, you ran back through some of the things we've looked at today, can can you say, that based off of the way that you are living, that you've illustrated and demonstrated faithfulness to the gospel? Based off of the way that you've been living today, can you say, can others say that you've lived a life of submission to the gospel? And then lastly, when I would say maybe most importantly, are you finding yourself content in the gospel? A couple application points as we bring things to a close those of you here today that are Christians, those, those questions are posed to you. Are you faithful? Are you submissive? And are you content? But for some of us, we can always assume that in a room this size, there will be some of us that, that maybe don't even know the God of the gospel yet. And so the thought of being faithful, the thought of being submissive, the thought of, of finding yourself content in the gospel just seems completely arbitrary. Like, that seems bizarre. Something that just seems like we should never, we should never really pursue it could be that, that today, that's evidence of the fact that you've not met the God of the gospel. The God of the gospel that has done everything for us uh, that we need in order to have a perfect and right relationship with him. We, we see that from the very beginning in Genesis chapter 3, God made all things good in Genesis 1. Genesis, Genesis 3, sin enters into the world and sin kind of spreads to you and to me. It damages the relationship that we have with God, but God does what we could never do for ourselves. God sends Jesus to live the perfect life, to die the substitutionary death for you and for me, and that by faith in the finished work of Jesus, we can have a relationship with the God of the universe. This is the God that Paul was focused on serving and living in light of. And so our hope and our prayer this morning is that you would see the God of the gospel, that you would live your life in faithfulness to him, that you would live your life in submission to him, and then lastly, that you would live your life content in him. Guys, would you join me as we pray? Father, thank you for the time we've been able to look at your word this morning. We're thankful for the message that we see in Acts chapter 20, and the way that you remind us of the Apostle Paul and his faithfulness to to serve you despite facing persecutions. Father, thank you for the gospel that he was radically changed by, and God, I pray today that that gospel would radically change the people of Salem. God, I pray that you would open up eyes, that you would uh, bring to life dead hearts, and that you would allow people to place faith in the finished work of Jesus today. God, thank you for the message of Acts 20. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.